Well, wonderful to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining with us. And what a joy it was to uh, go through the waters of baptism with those three, with those three men, Joel, Joel, and, and Callum. So, um, what I would love to do is, as I mentioned earlier in the service, just unpack a little bit of what has just happened. Um, not only the, the act of which we've witnessed, but particularly in thinking of those three questions that, uh, that the guys asked and answered in the tank. As I mentioned, we're going to think about what it means for this, the baptism and how it symbolizes for us this, this outward sign of an inner reality. That indeed we see this outward washing representing the cleansing from sin. We see the down to up from death to life. We see the public display of a very personal transformation. And those three questions, do you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Do you turn from sin, renounce evil, and intend to follow Christ? And do you, depending on God's grace, do you promise to live within the fellowship of the church and save Christ serve Christ faithfully? I, I want to suggest that the Bible would say that those are three of the most important questions, if not the most important questions, that any of us could answer, whether, whether you're going through the waters of baptism or not. Do you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Do you turn from sin, renounce evil, and intend to follow Christ? And do you promise, depending on God's grace, to live within the fellowship of the church and serve Christ faithfully? And I think those three questions are shown to us in the physical act of baptism that we've witnessed. This outer cleansing of an inner, uh, the outer cleansing representing the inner cleansing, the down to up, the public and personal. And so I want to think, first of all, just about what this symbolism is of washing of outer washing and how that represents and speaks to us of the inner cleansing that has gone on. Well, as I mentioned, there's, there's nothing special about this water. Um, as soon as the service is over, we will drain this, put the lids back on, and in a sense, go back to normal. And there's nothing special about this uh, body of water here, but what it represents is incredibly special, incredibly significant. See, in, in various places and in various portions of Scripture, water is used and, and cleansing is used, not just in terms of a physical cleansing, but how that represents a spiritual state, a spiritual cleansing, if you like, a washing, a purity. Uh, and uh, actually, Callum mentioned this verse earlier in, in Acts 22, verse 16, when the Apostle Paul is recounting his encounter with Jesus. And another believer, a guy called Ananias, says, and now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. You see the link between the washing and the cleansing? Paul later goes on to explain it in uh, the letter to the Corinthians. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and by the Spirit of our God. You see, you were washed clean. There, there's something about the washing and the cleansing that we need if we want to be in relationship with God. But, but Why? Why do we need to be made clean? What is, this, what is the cleansing of, of this sin that, that the Bible speaks of? Well, to give a very brief snapshot, the, the Bible makes it clear that God, God who is the ultimate and only sovereign ruler of the universe, that's God, that's who we approach, that's who we can be in relationship with. He, the, the truly divine and holy and perfect and eternal one, he created the world. And when he created the world, it reflected his perfection. There, there was harmony between himself, God, and humanity and the world around. And as God created and loved humanity, he, he didn't create 
Uh, he didn't make us like robotic creatures without the ability to choose or without the ability to have our own thoughts or to have our own actions. No, he created humanity with the ability to choose, to choose to love him, to choose to obey him, to choose to walk in life of the life of fullness that he created us for or, or not. And, and you don't need to look too far around us in our world today to realize that humanity chooses to go against God's good ways. If God's ways are good, as we look around the world, it would seem that that's not the good path that we see. Indeed, maybe, maybe we don't have to look around the world. Maybe we can just glance in the mirror and we know that we, you, I, we, we don't choose to walk in God's ways in our own strength and on our own. No, the, the, the first man and woman, they, they decided to, to go against God's ways. And ever since then, we've been infected with that same curse. It's what the Bible calls sin, going against God's ways. Anything that we think or say or do that is against what he would want. Uh, and sin is, is seeking our own desires above God's. Sin, therefore, is the root of every kind of anger and malice and bitterness and jealousy and harsh word and greed. And they, they all find its root in sin. Sin, sin distorts everything that God made to be good. Uh, and we all have sin. That, that, is our, that is our default setting, if you like. Uh, but the primary consequence of sin is a fracture in our relationship, that perfect relationship that God created us to have with him. That perfect harmony we were created to enjoy has been fractured. Uh, and sin is meant that, that we, are, we are stained, we are impure as we stand before the holy and just God. And so, as the holy and only rightly just God, he, he punishes sin. Of course he should. A good God must. And, and I realize that, that God's punishment of sin, as we look around our life, we might not see that. It's, it sometimes looks like evil prevails. It sometimes looks that the greedy just get more. But in the scope of eternity, God, who is the eternal judge sitting on the eternal throne, he, he makes all things right. He judges justly the heart of every person. And if that heart is, is stained with sin, then it cannot be in the presence of such holy beauty. And therefore the punishment for that sin is an eternity removed from the presence of God, an eternity therefore removed from the presence of anything good, and indeed the Bible would say surrounded by suffering and pain. It's what, it's what the Bible calls hell. And it's where every single one of us are destined for because we all are sinful on our own and in our own strength. But, and if there are three letters that ever changed the world, it is but. But that is not the end of the story. The end of the story for all of us does not have to be separation from God, fracture in our relationship with him, dealing with the, the punishment of our own sin. No, that doesn't have to be the end. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 1:18, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Can you, can you see the cleansing theme coming through? You see, there's hope. Because God offers a way for forgiveness, for that stain of sin to be washed away. And therefore, relationship with him to be restored. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's a remarkable gift of God's grace. You see, God offers forgiveness to all, to every single one of us. Every person on the planet, he offers purely from his own grace. It, it, it is not because... 
some earn it. It is not because some gain it as a reward. It's not because some of us achieve grace. No, no, no. We can only know forgiveness because of God's lavish grace. Grace is a, is a free gift. Now, we'll come to see that it cost him dearly, but as it, forgiveness is granted to us. It's not earned by us. It is granted to us, and therefore, whatever your background, whatever your history, nothing can keep you from the grace of God that he offers to each and every one of us. One of the best-known verses in the Bible is John three sixteen, And let me read verse 17 as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So for those who believe, eternal life is granted. That is the grace and gift of God. And all of that is only possible because he sent his son into the world, because he so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And many of us here this morning, including Joel and Joel and Callum, many of us here believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in what he has accomplished at the cross for us. Believe in the forgiveness that he has offered and accepted that offer of grace. And therefore, our sins have been forgiven and our heart is clean before God. And that means then that we can enjoy that life with him that he created us for, for now in this life and then for all eternity to come. This is the the inner reality that has already taken place for Joel and Joel and Callum and many others who believe. And and that's what's demonstrated by the water here, the cleansing, the removal of the stain of sin. And so these three men have been forgiven by Jesus Christ because they accept him as Lord and Savior of their lives. That's what they declare. That's what the first question was. But but what does that mean? So, So what does it mean to accept that offer of forgiveness, to live this life of Christ? Well, that's what I think is represented by the down to up, which we talk about is from death to life. Uh, and this is a very active, I mean, baptism is a very tangible thing, isn't it? We all saw the, the guys go in and come out. Uh, and there's a wonderful, wonderful spiritual um, picture that is being shown to us there. Uh, and, and that lowering and rising up, as I've said, is about a, a dying to self, a dying to my own desires, a dying to what I would want to do, and a rising to the life that Christ would have me live. I want to read a, a section from Romans chapter 6. Um, where where the Apostle Paul is writing to a church in Rome in the first century, uh, and he's talking about baptism, and he says it like this. The words will appear on the screen if you don't have a copy of God's Word. Um, If, by the way, you don't have a copy of the Bible um, at at all in your possession, please take one of the the red ones that are around the pews there. I would love for you to take that as a gift um, from us to you so that you can see God's Word for yourself. But Romans 6, verse 3, I want to begin in. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. See what Paul is saying there? We died to Christ that we may live a new life because Christ died and rose again. We'll come to see that in a second. Paul goes on to say, for we have, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will also In fact, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is the promise of eternal life. It's why Jesus rose from the dead. It's one of the things that it teaches us. That that eternal life with him is possible because he has defeated death. Picking it up again in verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. 
that we would no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And so this new life is offered to us, this, this life with Christ. Now, for those of you who know Joel, Joel and Callum, for those of you who know any Christian, that doesn't mean that life is sinless. Right? These three, all of us, we will still make mistakes. We will still fall into the trap of sin at times. The, the key phrase there is we are no longer slaves to sin. It does not have mastery over us. It is not our, our final destiny because we have been forgiven of that sin by Jesus Christ. And so there's a, 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 the life in Christ is a, is a journey. It's, it's a process. He is at work in our hearts. He is transforming us more and more into greater and greater glory until we, of course, are released from this life and, and join him in the perfection of heaven. So, so these words from Paul in, in Romans are, are great words. They're deep words that I encourage you to go away and think about how this shows us the death of, of Christ and how we die with him when we put our faith in him in the sense that he has taken the punishment of our sin. And then when we come up out of the water, that represents the new life in Christ that he has welcomed us into. So Jesus came to the world and he came to die. But, but why? Well, we, we've said it a few times that Jesus died to take away the sins of the world. Now, Jesus himself had no sin. He, he was God in human form. He, he didn't have sin of his own to die for or to, to make a sacrifice for. No, in his death, he took the penalty of sin upon himself for me and for you who have sin, who deserve the penalty. He took it. He soaked up the penalty of sin so that for those who trust in him, they may know his forgiveness, that his righteousness, his right standing before God may be transferred to them. That's why we're able to be restored in our relationship with him, with God. Because our sin has been dealt with. Colossians 2 puts it like this. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness. How? It stood against us. It condemned us. But what has Christ done? He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And so for those who put their trust in Jesus, we, our charge sheet, as we stand before the judge of all eternity, is clean. It has been, it is gone. We no longer have sin. Christ has dealt with it for us. And so Jesus took the penalty. And there, and what a grace that we who don't deserve it, we, even as we're told elsewhere, while we were still sinners, he died for us. So that we would have that offer of forgiveness and grace. And so our sin, when we put our faith and trust in him, is gone. But of course, as we've said, Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, securing that eternity for us. And all of that is possible. That eternity in him, freedom and forgiveness from sin is all possible because of what he's done for us. And the Bible is clear. We read earlier from, from Acts chapter 2 that the way to respond is what the Bible calls repentance. It's a turning. It's, it's a turning from sin to Christ. It's a turning away from, from our desires to his. And so it's, it's something that the boys very adequately and eloquently uh, explained as, that they have done as they turned, laid down their lives and said, Jesus, I want you to be Lord and King of my life and I want to live my life for you. And so that's the inner reality that, that Joel and Joel and Callum 
can testify to that that death to themselves arising a new life with Christ um, and what joy it is. So we ask them, do you turn from sin, renounce evil and intend to follow Christ? And they declare it as all of us who believe in Christ Jesus say, we say yes, we do with the help of God, with his spirit. Finally then, the, the third question that I want us to consider, is this really public display of a personal transformation? And I guess this summarizes everything that we've seen. See, the, the fact that, that we are all here to witness this shows the public nature of what's going on here. That, that there is a public demonstration and a public witnessing that, that Joel and Joel and Callum wanted us to see as they publicly say, I believe and trust in Jesus Christ. He has forgiven my sin and I'm living my life for him. And they've invited us to be witnesses to that. And as I mentioned earlier, believing in Jesus is a personal thing. It's about our heart and our life before God. So we can't rely on, on our family upbringing and what they believed. We can't rely on our friends and what they believe. No, it's about what we believe. Who do we say Jesus is? Is he my Lord and Savior? And so there's a very personal dimension to faith in Jesus Christ, absolutely. But that personal dimension in no way makes it a private faith. It is not a faith to be kept behind closed doors. No, in fact, the New Testament uses phrases and Jesus uses phrases like you are to be salt and light. Later in the New Testament, we see ambassadors for Christ. We see Jesus telling his disciples to go and be his witnesses. We see Christians being called the fragrance, the aroma of Jesus in the world. And so these are very public ways in which we demonstrate and live out our faith. We, we show the love and compassion and grace and truth of Jesus Christ. And we use our words to say exactly the same. And so this very public display that Joel and Joel and Callum have done, uh, it doesn't stop today. They will go from here and continue to live out as witnesses and ambassadors for Christ in school, in the workplace, wherever they find themselves. And the same is true for all of us who are Christians. Wherever you head tomorrow, whatever you do this afternoon, if you believe and trust in Jesus Christ, you are an ambassador for him there. Your personal transformation that he is working in your heart displays itself publicly. And therefore, other people get to hear and see the joyous good news of this wonderful salvation that you know. And we also prayed earlier, and we were grateful for the church. The reality that when God saves us, he saves us into his family. And the family is one of the terms that the New Testament uses to describe the church. Another is the body of Christ. Another is the temple being built together. Another is a flock of, so we're all, Christians are all sheep gathered together. That's the picture that the New Testament uses to try to help us understand the gathered nature and the connectedness of Christians with one another. Because in his sovereignty, God has, God has planned that it is through his church, his body, that the world will hear his good news. It is through his church, his body, it is through each of us who believe in him that everyone else will be encouraged in their faith, will be strengthened in their faith, will be, will be equipped to go and serve him. And so to thrive as a Christian, you need to be part of the body. And so for Joel and Joel and Callum, that is again a commitment they have made today. That was the third question. Do you promise, depending on God's grace, to live within the fellowship of the church and serve Christ faithfully? And that's not just an opportunity for us to say, okay, well then, can you volunteer for a couple of things? Or can, you put, can we put your name down on a rota? That, that would be great, and please do that. But it, it's much deeper than that. It is much deeper than that. It is now 
as they as they came to faith in Christ Jesus, whether it was this summer a few months ago or when they were six or seven in their bedroom with their dad, they were part of the body of Christ. And therefore, for all of us as brothers and sisters in the faith, we have the joy, the privilege, the honor, the responsibility to encourage and strive to equip one another as his, as his body to live well for him here. <clears throat> so this public dim- dimension of the baptismal service is a reminder to us of, of the joy of how we can share and show the love of Jesus publicly because of his work privately in our hearts. And so you can see baptism is, is much more than a big tank of water on a way to fill the Sunday. This is a significant spiritual representation of what has already gone on in the lives of Joel and Joel and Callum, in the lives of many of us who believe and trust in Jesus Christ. It is an outward sign of an inner reality. It, it is a physical representation of the spiritual transformation that has already gone on and continues to go on as we follow Jesus. And, and it's been a, a pure delight to share this uh, with Joel and Joel and Callum. It has been a joy to walk through this with them. And as they continue to grow in their love for Jesus and in their living for Jesus, we commit to you to pray, to support, to encourage in any way that we can. And I wonder then, as we've considered the, the significance of this act that we've seen this morning, and as we've pondered further these questions, I wonder how you would respond to these questions this morning. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you do, then remember and recall the joy of your salvation. Remember and be refreshed by the reality of what Christ has done for you. That that legal charge of indebtedness is gone. And and may his spirit encourage you and equip you then to live in the freedom surrendered to him. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you consider him this morning? Perhaps this morning you've you've been... reminded of or maybe shown for the first time your need for a savior and then the offer of him and if we can help in any way figure out what that means please speak to us before we leave over us gone do you turn from sin renounce evil and intend to follow christ well well, that's a question that all of us especially those of us who are believers Perhaps we've, we've believed for a long time. Perhaps we've, we, we committed our life to, to Christ relatively recently, but we've noticed that there's been a drift, that there's been a, a tolerance of things that we used to think were, were not suitable for God's people. Oh, may we turn from sin. May we renounce evil. May we intend to focus our eyes on Christ. And do you promise, depending on God's grace, to live within the fellowship of the church and serve Christ faithfully? And maybe God has been tugging at your heart this morning to to rethink and reevaluate your commitment to his church, whether this congregation is your church or whether you're part of a church somewhere else? Do you depend, are you serving him there? Are you living faithfully in the fellowship? And that is a way to both serve and be served by his people. So regardless of where you're coming from this morning or why you happen to be here, we would love to help you with these questions. We would love for you to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you know him as such, we would love to encourage you to keep passionately following him, boldly and confidently following him. And as our church family here, we want to certainly gather around Joel and Joel and Callum, 
cheer you on as brothers in the faith and see God continue to work in wonderful ways as he has done. Would you join me in praying as we come to a close? Father God, we thank you. Oh, we thank you and we praise you that we can celebrate your good news this morning of lives transformed because of your grace, through your grace. Thank you, Father, that that, that you have offered the way of salvation. You have offered forgiveness from sin. You have offered an escape from life and eternity, away from you and life and eternity with you. And God, I thank you for Joel and Joel and Callum. I thank you for your grip on their hearts and their souls. I thank you for drawing them into your family. I thank you for saving them. And I pray that as they have gone through this wonderful step of faith and obedience today, Father, would you pour your blessing out upon them. In the days that lie ahead, may they be bold and courageous in their witnessing for you. May they be encouraged and equipped as they seek to serve you in wherever you have them placed. And Father, thank you for the privilege of being here to be part of this with them, to be witnesses to their faith in this way. And Lord, we pray that for every single one of us, now, whether we know you personally or not, Father, would this be a significant day in our journey with you? I do pray, Father, that for those who, who have sensed your leading and your, your conviction of sin and your need for repentance, that they would do so today. And Father, that we would gather around and celebrate with them the joy of forgiveness and grace. And, and Lord, for those of us who do know your grace and your forgiveness, would you encourage our hearts today again? Will you help us to see that following you is an active, uh, joyful, dependent, daily, wonderful, wonderful life that you've called us to. Father, if we've, if we've got into a sense of drudgery or, uh, or compromise, Lord, would you shake us from it uh, and captivate our hearts again with the glory of who you are. Our Lord, we, we pray that as we, as we finish off our service here, as we celebrate and, and enjoy time together in the hall. Father, would you, would you be with us? Continue to speak to us by your good word, we pray. Help us, encourage us, draw us closer to you, we ask. And we ask all of these things, Father, for your glory and in your wonderful name. Amen.